0: Welcome to the Lead Me Grow to Great Leadership Podcast. I'm your host and founder of the Lead Me Academy, Jackie Kennedy. This podcast features top thought leaders in various industries as they share their knowledge, insights, and practical advice to help you and your team level up your leadership and personal development. We offer an online leadership development program that seeks to create self-awareness and change behavior over time. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Robert Paddock. Robert is the co-founder of Get Smart. An online education company that has educated over 200,000 working professionals from 154 countries around the world. He's also executive director at Hubble Studios and a board member at Ingenie. And in 2019, Rob founded and is currently CEO of Valencia Institute, which offers fully supported online high school programs and pre-college certificates with a mission to turn physical limitations into digital opportunities opportunities by enabling students to choose an aspirational school regardless of their circumstances. In my conversation with Rob today, we'll be discussing growth in startups, covering everything from startup to scale up, to building organizational culture, the role of middle management, and how communication is the lifeblood of organizations. You'll gain insight and advice from one of our most successful entrepreneurs in South Africa and a leader in the edtech field. Welcome Robert, how are you doing this Friday afternoon?
1: Doing exceptionally well, thank you Jackie, how about you?
0: Yeah, very good thank you, excited for the weekend and and looking forward to yeah, getting some rest and some play in. Um, but we are super excited to have you on the Lead Me Podcast today. Um, and just wanna say right up front, thank you so much for making the time and for joining me. And yeah, I think let's just dive straight into it if that's all right with you. Mm. Okay, so I thought a great starting point would be for you to tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your background.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, Cape Town, South Africa, born and Raised, um, 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 I guess could be kind of um, in broad brushstrokes, uh, quite a creative young soul, re- relatively rebellious Um uh, was in a, by South African standards, an incredible school. Um, so very, very grateful for the the school experience that I had. But definitely had the experience of being a, a bit of a misfit within that environment. Um, went on ultimately to become a musician um, and worked in that industry for a long time, taught a lot of music, did a lot of corporate team building, was part of a uh, was part of a startup in London around kind of teaching corporates how to play music and have community building activities together through music. Um, so really f- fantastic experience and really that's my entire life was orientated around um, uh, around being a musician and then uh, got diagnosed with something called tinnitus, which is a perpetual ringing in your ears. Um, That in my case is as a result of noise damage over the years. Um, But I I remember quite clearly the audiologist uh, looking at me and saying, Rob, you know, you you can keep playing music, but you'll be deaf in four years. (laughs) Just like, you know, and your entire world just kind of melts around you or or let me say dissolves around you. Um, And I think what was so powerful about that experience at a relatively young age was that it Forced me to let go of the identity constructs that I'd come up with myself at that point. Um, and I think this is something that, that generally we as humans do. We tend to say, you know, I'm Rob Paddock, I'm good at music, I'm bad at maths, I like these things, I don't like these things. This is my profession. We kind of box ourselves in quite tightly. And what I've found is increasingly tightly as we get older um, with mm-hmm. these identity constructs. And then what happens is that our friends start to expect us to act and be uh, act in certain ways and be certain ways. Our community starts to expect the same and it becomes this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think what was so powerful about having that experience at that age is that my entire identity construct uh, dissolved in that moment. Um, and as incredibly scary and challenging as that was, it was also very liberating because what what ends up happening when that identity construct is removed is that you sit there and you ask yourself, well, what could I be? Like, I don't really know what I am anymore, so what could I become and, and what are my possibilities and what are my limitations? Um, and over the years certainly Jackie it's been something that has come to mind for me uh, that has been fairly persistent is i don't know i don't know what i am and who i am exactly and i'm very hesitant to put labels on myself or others because at least in my experience now if we give ourselves the spaciousness to do so life becomes this ever ever increasing exploration of what could be. Um, mm-hmm. And again, who knows what who we are and what we're capable of if we take take away the self-imposed limitations. So I guess the first kind of iteration of that was moving into business more directly into um, really kind of doubling down on a startup and, and education. Um, I had a great opportunity to start a business called Get Smarter with my brother Sam and my, and my parents. Um, that is a online education business that educates working professionals on eight to 10 week short courses. Um, we partner with the world's leading universities in order to do that. Um, that business we built out of Cape Town, South Africa. Um, we grew it over over almost twelve years and ultimately sold it to a Nasdaq listed company. Um, and at that stage, we'd educated just over 200,000 students from 154 countries around the world with an average graduation rate of 92%. And we're working with partners like Harvard, Stanford, Oxford, Cambridge, truly the world's leading universities, locally very strong partnership with the University of Cape Town. Um, beyond that, um, uh, stayed at, at the company that acquired us for a little while, and um, um, to be honest, probably realised that I was pro- at some some level fairly unemployable. <laughs> I, just, I just don't know that it's, that it's a good idea, um, and so ended up taking a bit of time off. Like, really had an amazing opportunity in my mid thirties to to take some space, take some time and space. Uh, got uh, put myself into deep therapy. A lot of focus on meditation, exercise, well being, health. Um, kind of uh, let's call it spiritual exploration and and more. Um, And ultimately off the back of that ended up starting what I'm now spending almost all of my time on, which is the Valencia Institute, um, which is a online high school group that partners together with the world's leading universities to offer affordable online schools, in, in emerging economies. Um, we currently run the UCT online high school that we launched last July and already has 5,000 students that joined us for our January cohort, um, and which makes us the largest inaugural cohort of any school in in, in the history of South Africa. Um, and be, beyond work, um, I'm a father. I have a beautiful boy called Gray, um, who is 21 months old. I have a little girl who is due in six weeks time. I'm married to the most fantastic human, Ash, um, And yeah, love family, friends, um, time on the beach, time in nature, try to do some trail running every now and then some surfing. Um, Yeah, that's probably a bit of a, a bit of a summary.
0: Lovely, Rob. Thank you so much for that. I think it gives our listeners really good context and it's really lovely to hear your journey. I think what really stood out for me there was that, uh, the piece about identity constructs mm-hmm. and and just how, you know, how if we open ourselves up, this can keep evolving and changing rather than being boxed or stuck, labeling ourselves and, and kind of thinking that we are, you know, either are only capable of so much or or so little, whatever the case is, right? But just really taking a different view on that um and perspective to what's possible in life. So mm-hmm. love that. And 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 thank you for sharing that. And um, I just out of interest and I know you don't like labelling, but I'm sure when you were a child, um there was did you have something that you thought like, what did you want to be when you grew up? Do you
1: have any idea? <laughs> I, I wanted to be, I think I wanted to be a paleontologist. I just, I love, I love dinosaurs. Um, okay. So I think at the, the earliest memory I have is just like something where I could, where I could um, be with dinosaurs. Um, I think probably from early teens, I wanted to be a musician. Um, loved playing music. I loved art. I loved graphic design. Um, and I was pretty sure I was going to be doing something in the creative space. I think the other thing I was interested in, particularly as high school went on is community building. Um mm. And had thoughts about kind of starting like organic farming communities and kind of conscious communities and so on. So I think there was there was a lot of kind of, uh, let's let's say dreaming in, in those sorts of areas business certainly wasn't wasn't on the list when I was when I was younger.
0: Mm, interesting. Hey? And it's amazing to hear. Um, yeah, just that, you know, it didn't sound like you were picturing yourself to be this kind of very successful entrepreneurial individual building these businesses. Um, and but here you are. Um, <laughs> but and it sounds amazing. It's also just so great to hear what you're doing with Valencia Institute. So thanks for sharing that as well. And congrats to you and the team um, for the progress that you're making. Mm, there. Thank you. Uh, so let's um, let's just uh, get a little bit more into your kind of thinking. Uh, what would you say is your favorite or least favorite part of being an entrepreneur and starting and growing a new business?
1: So my favorite and least favorite. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a really good point. I think I think what's amazing about entrepreneurship is, uh, in terms of my favorite, I guess my favorite aspects of it is that it is a. Um, your business becomes a vehicle for your creative expression um, mm. and your your contribution to the world and um, as important as that is your uh, becomes a vehicle for your own personal growth and development there's there's no higher accountability than when you when you run a business um, it, anything that happens in the business ultimately accountability can bubble up to you as, as, as founder um, mm. and in my case CEO and I think there's something there's something very um, the, the challenge and the burden of that can be quite real at times, but I think that that it's... Um, I, I love this saying from Peter Crone, which is that life will present you with the people and circumstances to reveal where you're not yet free. And mm-hmm. I feel like, like business is almost... Is almost a supercharged experience of life especially startup especially high growth startup where you're putting a group of individuals together from different backgrounds with different skills you're putting that you ask them to do work in a way that is often con- constrained by things like budgetary constraints changing um, economic and commercial environments competitive environments um, uh, customer feedback etc and you're saying go it's like if there's ever going to be an experience that's going to touch on your, ins- your sensitivities, your insecurities, your neuroses, um, business is certainly that and high growth startup is certainly that. And my experience of startup as a result of that is that it becomes the most incredible vehicle. Every time I find myself feeling frustrated, find myself feeling um, like I've got imposter syndrome, et cetera, et cetera, it's like, huh, ha, what is, what is life inviting me to explore? Um, what are the mm. people and circumstances that are showing me where I'm not yet yet free? And that being an invitation for exploration rather than a kind of finger-pointing exercise, externalising it, trying to point it to someone else who who needs to be responsible for this. Like no, 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 this is me and my response and 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 my response to the situations that are arising. And what a gift! What an unbelievable gift! Does that mean it's easy? <laughs> not at all. Like quite the opposite. But it's um. But but it's a. I think it's a great great privilege to have. That um, I don't know if I would say that I've got a worst thing about entrepreneurship. Um, I, I believe that the that the burden is a is a is a privilege to have. Um, it it can be tiring, and I think that if you don't take care of yourself, um, which I'm certainly. Hopefully, over time, learning to do better, um, it, you can you can burn out. And I've certainly at, at the end of my get smarter experience, I was completely burnt out, like physically, psychologically. I just hadn't been taking good enough care of myself, um, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I guess that would be that would be a negative experience of the entrepreneurial journey.
0: Mm, amazing, Rob. Sure, so many great things you just said there. I just have to pull out one or two of them. I mean. Firstly, the point about I love that point that you made about how the kind of tough times or an invitation, um, really inviting you to see what do you, what is it that you need to explore, or where uh, or showing you where you're not free. I mean that just really hits home for me, um, and kind of it's, it's also a great flip on it, right? Uh, you could, you know, it's, there's there's always the opportunity going into like, whoa, it's me. I've got oh, the overwhelm, or oh, there's so much mm. going on. How do I deal with this? Or it's the flip into that mindset of kind of, what is this teaching me? What is it showing me? Where to from here? How can I be solution oriented? Mm. What do I need? What are the gaps that wow. I need to fill? So yeah, and I guess I really- at
1: a, at a fairly philosophical level, the 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 question. That you might ask yourself is: Is life in life working for me or against me? And mm. you know, only only us as individuals can answer that question for ourselves. But it's it's a fundamental point of departure in the way that you will then experience the 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 um, the things that happen in your life. And to be clear, not one of us in this world controls the universe. <laughs> like we <laughs> don't. There are so many things that are beyond our control, and as and most of a lot of what the human condition kind of yearns for is to control the variables to have predictability, ultimately to, to ensure safety and survival. Um, and yet it's this constant slippery eel it's always out of reach. Um, and I think that it's just the most incredible, incredible invitation if your point of departure can be that life is happening for me. Then how do you how do you interpret the experiences that are happening to you? And again, that doesn't mean that things are going to be pleasant. This isn't about kind of like oh everything always goes the way that I want it to, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> um, but how you how you um, the spaciousness between what hap- what happens externally and and how you experience it is something I think is like the, it's the it, it's the primary opportunity for for growth in this life.
0: Mm, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there. I think it's one of the things that we speak about in the Lead Me program all the time. It's really about you know, we don't have control over everything at all. But what's within our control, and most importantly, how do we interpret it? You know, how do we make sense of that experience and, and how do we take it forward? Yeah. Um, there's two different ways we can always interpret something. So, I love that. But I also, as a fellow kind of entrepreneur, founder, I can really relate to these highs and lows and the and this, uh, this highest level of accountability. And you kind of mentioned that this can also be a challenge and a burden. And it can be tiring at times, and I think uh, you know, relating to that, um, that level of accountability and that difference in that experience of kind of, if you don't look after yourself, that can become you know what's keeping you up at night and and kind of you know um, overwhelming you. Tough some impact is kind of the ongoing thinking about everything: is it all going smoothly? Is it all working? What do you need to be constantly doing? So, I think you were kind of alluding there to this this. This huge need to also just kind of keep looking after yourself mentally and physically to ensure that you can kind of keep on top of things.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All
0: right. So um, I'd love to know from you, and just so that we're on the same page, um, as we discussed, uh, discuss growth and scaling a company, how would you define the difference between those two
1: terms? Um, and sorry, just clar- clarifying question, the, the, between growth and scaling yeah growth and scaling yeah well oh, i mean i mean there's obviously i would i would i would assert that there's a fair amount of overlap between those two um i mean i, I would almost make the distinction between kind of startup and scale up um, mm. which is my, my my typical distinction um startup is very much categorized by by the search for product market fit. Um, are there enough people who want your service at a price point that you can reliably deliver it at with a unit economic model that can sustain your business over the long term and ultimately get you to profitability? That search is is it's highly explorative. You are you need to try a lot of different things, most of which will fail. And And yet, it only takes one thing to work to to build build a really interesting business. And that startup phase, I would say, is is everything relating to kind of listening to market feedback, iterating regularly, trying a lot of things, and having a team that is incredibly resilient and understands what they're getting into when it comes to startup. Um, It's it's very rough for a lot of people when they come into their first uh, first experience of a startup if their expectations aren't aren't set uh, clearly. Scale up then I would I would distinguish as the phase at which you found product market fit and now you want to grow and you want to grow fast. And it's not to say that there aren't won't be some overlap between kind of a startup mentality where you, even through scaling, you're trying to kind of um, experimenting with some new things and kind of augmentations of your product or your service. Um, or you might even be launching some additional kind of complementary products, some of which will fail, some of which will work. So there, there can be a startup DNA that is infused throughout the full lifetime of your business. Um, but the scale up phase of a business is quite unique in that it is very cash intensive, um, and this is often why you need things like venture capital in order to to allow you to achieve your growth. Because often growth and um, and efficiency are in conflict with each other. Um, so taking on some additional capital means that you can you can forego some of the efficiency you would typically look for and really prioritize growth. And growth often the the, the end point of growth is that you're trying to get kind of market dominance or a a particular kind of um, uh, market leader position within a within a particular vertical. Um, so I think that, that, that the growth phase of a business, A, is very cash intensive. And as entrepreneurs, we need to be very conscious of that. Um, but B, it is a time where you need to take, you need to be less, let's call it scrappy as an entrepreneur, where you're trying a bunch of stuff and just really figuring out product market fit. And you need to bring in more capable executives who are Used to scaling businesses, who have gotten have, have operated businesses at scale before, who understand the importance of putting in um, reliable systems, processes, figuring, making sure that your organizational chart um, is is well organized, where decision making uh, criteria and forums are clear, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's it's often not in the DNA of of startup founders to do that. So. I mean, a general point of advice is that often startup founders will, will hire people who are similar to them, which is which is OK during kind of startup phase. When you get in scale up phase, you purposely have to introduce people who have either come from a bigger business um, or have been through scale before or who are incredibly operationally and systems minded. Um, because that's what's going to give your business the rigor and the structure that it needs to actually survive the scale up and deliver a, ser- a quality service at scale.
0: Mm, okay amazing um that gave such a nice overview of those two and i think really kind of hit home with the you know the startup really being finding your market fit um and and then the scaling really being about the operations and the systems and and really having the right people to be able to take the organization to the next level mm-hmm. um yeah, and that totally makes sense. Um, I think often founders of organizations are the guys that like to really start things and get things going, but um, potentially to some degree, and this might be boxing a little bit, but like hard to follow through with everything and all the systems and processes and the detail that's really required um, and to take it to that next level. So getting the right people in the right places is so critical. And we'll definitely talk about that a little bit later in this conversation. Um, so, so kind of off the off the back of that, and it, you kind of have alluded to some things already, but maybe just to take it a step further, uh, we know that South Africa has a high failure rate for SMEs, um, with five out of seven of these businesses failing within the first year. And um, what do you think are the biggest or most common mistakes a lot of new businesses make when trying to uh, trying to achieve growth? Yeah,
1: um, I think uh, my my number one. Uh, answer with this is that is that um, founders entrepreneurs etc become obsessed with their product and don't launch like they end up spending lots of time and kind of business plans and prototypes and beta versions and yada 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 <laughs> like, the thing that really matters especially if you're launching in the kind of tech sector is show like get it out get it out fast and mm. start asking people to pay you real money for a service or a product like now like as quickly as possible And that is scary as can be, um, because now your your creative work is being put to the test. You have the possibility of rejection. You have the possibility of failure. So people tend to stay in kind of la-la land, for a lot longer, where you just kind of keep it to yourself and share it with a couple of family and friends, maybe, and oh, everyone's going to give you nice feedback and it's great and you feel good about it. It's like no, 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 ship, ship really fast. And what that means is that things will be will be difficult because your product will not be perfect. It means that um, it means that you have to deal with some pretty harsh customer feedback and so on. But it's really important to to get things out as quickly as possible, and then to and then to iterate based on customer feedback or to. Or to shut it down and move on now that's that's very easy to say when it comes to like tech products apps etc it's a lot harder when it comes to like meaningful products like what we're doing with like schools it's like the idea that you'll just like stand up a school kind of put it out there if it works great if it doesn't you know so so be it and i just want to i guess a note of caution um is that i I've been in the process for the last two weeks of actually in a phased approach closing down one of the schools that we launched early on um, so that we launched back in 2019 and that we're now in 2022 actually on a phased manner going to be closing down and um, by June next year. That's very difficult and people have found a home at our school, they have found community. and the process of shutting it down is absolutely devastating, like absolutely devastating. Yeah. Um, so I wanna just just make sure that everyone is clear that there are consequences to, to these actions. It's not always just like, oh, it's an app and I'll try quickly and close it down. And that's really hard. But when we look at our entire business and we look at that particular business and where, where it is and where the market dynamics have shifted incredibly quickly, uh, we had every reason to feel very confident about it um, from our initial traction three years ago. Um, unfortunately, the market has shifted so significantly that we actually cannot sustain it. So we've kind of managing our cash to try and deliver as much value to as many students as possible, um, but ultimately wrapping it up next year. That's really hard, and I'm devastated about what's happened. I'm devastated about the kids that are not going to be with us anymore, the parents who have finally found a school that works for their kids and so on. Um, and yet these, these, are the, these, are the, these things can happen in the startup journey. So as much as I want to say to entrepreneurs, like, go, 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 I also want to put that cautionary note that, like, they don't expect closing things down to be easy either. It's really hard. It's very, very hard.
0: Mm-hmm. I hear you. Um, and, yeah, I think a few key things there. I mean, definitely that process of iterating and learning quickly, right? Getting the feedback, adjusting the product. Also, maybe you've launched it to the wrong target audience or the wrong part of the market, you know, or whatever the case is in that process. But but getting it out there and getting immediate feedback and, I guess, building a strong skin or, or what the saying is, but to really be able to kind of take it on. And I think sometimes, you know, when you've built something and you've got this – you think you've got this amazing idea and it's, you know, for you it's – maybe spend a long time thinking about it and you're so – Uh, committed to the idea, um, and that it can be actually hard to let go of what you think is how it should work, how it should go. But if you can try and open yourself up to that feedback and and to what your customers are really saying, you can really create a product that actually meets their needs rather than a product that you think will meet their needs. Um, And I think that's a big part of the process, but incredibly hard, as you said.
1: Yeah, And it's one of the reasons, Jackie, why I think it's so – Helpful. Um, if anyone's trying to become kind of, if anyone's orientating towards potentially becoming a, an entrepreneur at an early stage, my my advice is: go write a line of poetry and go recite it in front of a bunch of strangers. Go go paint something and put it put it in a put it in a public space where people can publicly critique it. Um, Stand up and do do a, do an impromptu speech. You know, it's like the, the the same principles are at play in putting yourself out there publicly and being open to scrutiny and feedback. That's a mm. that's a muscle that you have to build over time, and it is mm. hard. And again, I would I would I would assert that it's one of the main reasons why more more isn't happening um, in the entrepreneurial ecosystem in South Africa is because we're just not we're just not prepared to like put ourselves out there and and have the hard feedback and i think there are um you know communities like like the states especially west coast states this is just such a common part of how people operate this <laughs> like you start a business some some work some don't work you've seen it happen all around you've seen examples of success you've seen examples of failure but there are these constant kind of points of inspiration in in the community that are reinforcing the idea that it's okay to do something and to fail it's okay to put something out there and and every now and then goodness me it's going to work um, mm. and that that I think is a is a ecosystem kind of community element that oof, we 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 we've got we've got work to do
0: yeah Yeah, I hear you. but, and it's really kind of coming back to this point again about you know flexing that muscle and the mindset around it. Um, you know how do you? It's okay to fail. It's like what do you take from that failing? Uh, how do you use that learning? How do you reinvent yourself or do something completely differently? Um, you know you've, you can often have massive lessons that come out of that. Um, but also even just in the process of being an entrepreneur, how do you? You know when it's when you when you build something and you've dreamed it up, you can tend to, to almost take things personally. Like, like every piece of feedback is a is directed you but it's not at all you know it's actually if you switch up your mindset it's just about it's about the product and how it could be better
1: yeah and maybe just a cautionary note on that as well sometimes you will get feedback which is about you <laughs> like, <laughs> like that you have launched something that is that is a problem or that you have i mean in this case of shutting down the school as an example like i understand like there, there are some parents that are incredibly angry. At me, mm. and it's like it's me, and we're on the phone, and you know, the uh, things being said, and so on. And that is again, like um, there's no joy in that, you know, it's very, very difficult. Um, mm. So, as, as entrepreneurs, I think one of the things that, that we need to um, the, 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 the point of peace that we have to find in ourselves is did I try my best? did i mm. try my best did i put my best foot forward were my ambitions and intentions noble was i looking to do something that was right for customers right for shareholders right for as many people as possible and if you can answer yes to those questions then you need to use that as your as your armor for the inevitable attacks that and and kind of challenges that will come towards both your business and and you as an individual. It, I, I can assure you uh, entrepreneurship is not a popularity contest. It is in fact the opposite. You have so, so many people that think that you're a terrible human because you've had to make decisions to retrench or to shut down a particular department or close down a product line or um, not give someone that promotion that they wanted. It is like it's it's the it's the opposite of a popularity contest. <laughs> <laughs>
0: gotcha. And 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 Robert, would you say at this point in time are you? Uh, would you already? Are you kind of gaining some of those lessons from having to close down the school, or, or where are you at in this journey right now?
1: Um, yeah, I think it's uh, so. It's 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 in motion. Um, the the lessons are multifaceted. I think I'm. I would say I'm a recovering people pleaser. Um, mm-hmm. so that it, it, is, it is a strong theme that's been coming through in um, in the in the in, let's say the the invitations to to uh, look at where I'm not yet free um and it's it's been very very powerful for me and I don't mean to phrase something that's been a negative experience for others as a powerful experience for me but like again it's like I believe that life is serving me um and it has been powerful to to learn from this and to and to kind of come back to that inner compass of like, were my intentions good did i try my best um, did i try to do as the best that i possibly could for as many stakeholders as possible and as as long as you can answer yes and my answer in that in this case is certainly yes it's a it's a very powerful process to go through actually and you know it, it it is horrible to be called names and be shouted at and and so on it's it's not nice at all um and yet and yet there it is life's working for you
0: all righty um so i'd love to know and this might be um well whatever you're willing to share on this front but what would you say is your or do you have a recipe for success that you've used to rapidly grow your businesses um or potentially another way if you have any kind of key pieces of advice on what could break a startup so i don't know which way you want to answer that i'll leave it to you but Mm. um what are you willing to share there
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, I, it's, I'd be willing to share anything. I, I I don't know that there's any one recipe, formula, et cetera, that can be comp- consistently applied. Um, I think if there is a mindset, it is a mindset of tenacity to keep going. Um, it, it, it takes quite a uh, – I think you used the word thick skin earlier. It takes quite a lot of kind of um, – belief to just keep on trying in spite of the fact that a lot of the things that you do that you do will not work um to keep going to keep iterating to keep overcoming the next challenges like a lot of if if i could paint it quite plainly a lot of most of entrepreneurship is problem solving like Mm. you are literally going to the next first of all you're trying to solve a problem for a customer that's the that's the primary value kind of point of departure and value proposition that we need to orientate around what Problem can you solve for a customer in a unique way that can give you some sort of sustainable, enduring competitive advantage? Um, and then, if you're in the pro- if you're focused on solving a problem for a customer, then the next, the next problem becomes um, what are the what are the problems in the business that that need to be overcome in order to solve that problem for the customer? It's just like solve another, solve another, solve another, solve another. So it does take a certain kind of fitness and tenacity to to keep going. Um, and I think that quite a lot of people stop too early. It's like I had an idea. I wrote a business plan. I tried it with a few customers. It didn't work. I finished. Mm. And it's very rare that your first idea is, is the right one. Very rare. Um, mm. so I guess that would be a mindset that is, that, I, that I think is, um, that is necessary for, for, uh, I don't, again, I wouldn't call it a recipe for success, but it's almost like a primary point of departure. If you're going to, if you're going to have any chance of succeeding, um, mm. And then Jack's your second question. Sorry, won't you remind me your, the second part of that question?
0: Sure, just uh, that part about w- what could break. Like, what could break a startup? Almost, you know, we always oh, think about like sure. what could make, what can break it in the early days. Is there, are there some things that stand out for you that if you really get these wrong in the yeah, early days? yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, point number one: um, hiring people who are exactly like you um it's the diverse like i'm such a fan of diversity um and mostly because it's about the diversity of opinion in the room diversity of perspectives diversity of talents um and most most um, examples, at least in my life, of, of kind of successful partnerships are because people bring different things to the, to the party. Um, mm-hmm. And diversity within your kind of group of founders becomes really important. Diversity as you scale and, and need different skills becomes really important. Um, so I'd say diversity and kind of hiring people with complementary skill sets is a, is a really important point that often, if you don't, is, is a reason for, for business failure. Um, running out of cash is a really, really big one. Um, I'm a big fan of the side hustle. Um, one of the right. reasons for that is having some sort of full-time or part-time job that allows you to pay your bills and, and live your everyday kind of life um, gives you the spaciousness to make responsible decisions for your business that aren't they're purely driven by making the next paycheck or getting the next the next um, bout of kind of batch of money in, um, which often is not what the business needs, but rather what you need personally. So the side hustle for me is such a great point of departure um get going with it with your business as a side hustle yes you're going to work your butt off um but it means that you can think clearly and and make make good strategic long longer term decisions about your business rather than just constantly trying to live in survival mode which is which is very stressful and tends not to be good for your business um Mm -hmm. so running out of cash is a really big one and one that i would just um, kind of caution people against it's not just about getting to the next venture capital raise um Need to really think about kind of sustainable methods to 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 funding your business, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and then I guess I would say, um, oh, um yeah, we've spoken about team. Th- those are probably the two two most important ones that come come to mind. Mm-hmm. Yes? Yeah.
0: That's perfect. Okay, and um, uh, I think this kind of comes back to something where you've mentioned once or twice already in this conversation. You know, you spoke about it can be really tough coming into a startup environment if you if it's your first time, and especially in a high high growth, high performance environment. Um, and so often when businesses grow very quickly, there is a notoriously high burnout of employees mm-hmm. due to the demanding workload. So I was just interested, you know, how can we prevent this? Can we prevent or what have you been doing in this space or what have you found, what have you found to work or, or just what's your views on this?
1: Yeah, um, I guess the first thing I would say is that we certainly haven't got it right. I mean, you were at Get Smarter. I mean, you experienced firsthand the, the challenges um, mm-hmm. amongst with many other team members that we were all going through, like w- what it means to kind of... Um, Work very hard and um, constantly in problem solving mode, and um, and so on. Like it it, it is tough, and I don't think that that I've got perfect solutions. Certainly not. Um, What I I would say a few things. The one is that um, uh, and. Uh, Our CEO Amy Johnson, has this wonderful saying that kind of happiness is is largely a huge part of happiness is expectations versus reality. Um, Mm. And when employing people into a startup environment to try and be as crisp and clear as you can about the realities of the lived experience is really important. We've tried Mm. to get better at that. I still don't think we've got it right, Um, but we have a kind of a now a recruitment video which is almost like a don't work at Valencia video. <laughs> like a, like, a, like a, this is really what it's what it what it's like. Um yeah. and please know what you're what you're coming into. Um, yeah. So I think expectations versus reality, you know, people tend to think I oh, start up like small, like flat structure, lots of autonomy. <laughs> and it's like yes, there's that and there is ah. it is a constant kind of like change of things. You're gonna launch new things, you're gonna put your heart and soul into them they get they're gonna get closed down like it, it's it's uh, it's chaotic it is um uncertain it like it's it it, it is hard and especially mm-hmm. coming from a corporate or a more stable environment um often the change can feel shocking and almost like the like the like the culture is toxic and like that sort of thing and it's like no no this is just like um i was actually chatting to the team the other day just saying like um, because I, I i say quite regularly that startup isn't for everyone and i mean mm. like, like i do not think that startup is for everyone and mm. my but my reason for saying that is in the same way that I would say that rugby isn't for everyone, you know <laughs> like it, it, you, you need to know the game that you're playing, and I think my concern is that many of us think that we're you know we we, we love soccer, we've played soccer, we've grown up playing soccer um and then we walk into a rugby field and not knowing that it, that the game is rugby, we're still trying to play soccer and it, and the rules around us and the game that's being played is rugby like no wonder you get you get tackled and you and you feel like the game is unfair and harsh. Um, mm. And from my perspective, it's really important to be clear about what it is to be a startup um, and mm. what it means to be operating in a startup and why it is that like there's going to be a lot of change, there's going to be a constant need to problem solve, there's going to be a lot of need to um, force better communication because things won't flow as easily as you thought, as, as well as you think they should. There's a need to shout very loudly when you see things that aren't being addressed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm. And that's just, that is a reality of the environment. Um, and again rugby isn't for everyone. Like, if you, if you choose to play soccer, then great. Like, Choose to play soccer. But if you choose to play rugby, then let's be the best rugby team that we can. Let's train specifically for the game of rugby. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I would say in a startup environment is it becomes more important than any other context to take responsibility for looking after yourself and by that mm-hmm. I mean like like in a startup it's like there's no end to the list of work that needs to be done, mm-hmm. like at all you, the only reason you close your computer at the end of the day is because you're closing your computer not because you're done <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah. like, like you're, you're never done mm-hmm. so the, putting around, putting those guardrails in place for yourself um, making sure that you have practices in your life that are fundamentally restorative, whether that's walks on the, on the beach with your partner, whether that is meditation, whether that's cold plunges or breath work or church or whatever it is for you that that you know is restorative and you know that is the thing that kind of like gets you that sense of of wholesomeness and and kind of cup filling, you've got to, got to, got to do those things because entrepreneurship in the startup environment is incredibly stimulating. And and again, I don't want to paint startup as terrible because the the, the flip side is you will learn more than you have ever learned in any other context in in a startup. Mm. Um, you'll mm. learn more about yourself you'll learn more professionally you will grow faster than any other pace in any any other environment and that 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 can be very taxing um, mm. and so to know the game that you're playing to be very clear on on the necessity to take care of yourself um and to take responsibility for that it's so easy to point the finger and say business should be doing this business should be doing that my colleague, my manager should be doing that etc and that can be true. Like, There will often be things that the business needs to do better no question um and Mm -hmm. and here's the thing you get to play a role in influencing that (laughs) the idea that it's just like point the finger and someone else must sort out is is it, it doesn't doesn't often work in startup um but on top of that to 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 gaze inwards and say what can i do to have better boundaries what can i do to um to have better self-care practices, what can I do to make sure that I learn the skills that are necessary to to operate and to give what this business needs right now? Um, it, it the entire the entire texture of that of of that example is very different to to feeling uh, like a victim.
0: Mm, no, totally. And I mean, so many things there resonated with me. You know, I think um, that ultimately the onus is on the individual. You know, you've got to prioritize. Uh, you know, you've got to figure it out how it's going to work for you if you want to work in that space and, you know, you've got to prioritise yourself as well as your work and then figure out how to get that ratio right at the end of the day. But yeah. I love what you said about the um, I think Amy's expectations versus reality to manage happiness ultimately at the end of the day. Um, I think, and it was interesting to hear you say about, well, we're now actually uh, saying like why you don't work at Valencia if this is not for you. I mean, I found myself now, you know, we, we personally are trying to create a hundred percent remote company and um, it, yeah, and and I'm doing exactly that, you know, as trying to be as transparent and as honest and, and really getting people to think about up front, you know, if this environment is going to work for them. You know, if you, for example, if you enjoy being in a team environment and coming into an office every day and that's what gives you kicks and so on and so on, then this isn't going to work for you. I can tell you yeah. that now. It's the wrong place. Yeah. It's not going to work, you know. Absolutely. And so I've got to encourage people and sometimes people, you know, they, they, they think that it's going to be the right environment, but really encourage them to think about, you know, what is it about their previous environments that they really enjoy? Is it the structure, the process, the leaving every day at five on the dot or even earlier? What is it about it that's really working for them? And then, you know, have the flip and say, well, this is what it's really going to be like. And I think, but, and knowing that the learning, I mean, personally, as you mentioned, I worked to Get Smart. It was incredible, the learning that came from that. It was tough. But sure, the learning curve was massive, and yeah. um, and and you just got to decide what the trade off there is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, great points there. Thanks, thanks, on, thanks for those, Rob. Um, all right. So, um, what would you say? Do, would you say you have a piece of advice around um, someone going through the growing pains phase of business building, and and kind of? And I think you've already alluded to this that they never really go away. There's you're constantly. Yeah. Building. no, no. Um, so it's it's, a, com- it's a
1: complete fallacy that you're ever gonna that you' ever gonna yeah. kind of hit equilibrium and things are just working like it it ne- it never happens at least at least not if you go
0: <laughs> goodness. Okay. I really hit that one home for people. Um, so, and then, and just moving on, because I know we're also conscious of time and I've got a few more things I'd love to get through. So uh, one thing that's particularly interesting for me um, at, at would lead me and, and, you know, obviously our focus on developing more leaders within organizations. Um, you know, we've, the term has often been said you know middle management has plays a key role and it can be the glue that holds an organization together and really ensures smooth communication throughout an organization um what are your thoughts on that do you agree with that and um and what's your experience of kind of growing that middle layer and and getting it right
1: Hmm. um i definitely am not the best qualified to answer that we've actually just been um at Valencia, been um, through a process where it's, un- it's it couldn't be more apparent that we haven't got our communication right, um, mm. and that people don't feel informed at the level that they that they need to, that um, um, problems that are that are being experienced in the front line are not sufficiently moved, kind of bubbling up and and getting to decision makers, etc. So um, I'm very thoughtful on this exact point at the moment, <laughs> so, so perhaps it is a well well timed question. Um, I would say, Jackie, a few things. One, I think that that kind of Open communication, public forums and so on are incredibly scary, um, you know, because because anything can happen, especially if you allow for like anonymity um, in questions and that sort of thing, which often people kind of feel the need to, to, to have in order to ask the really hard questions. Um, and so, you know, we went through a process last week where I instigated a kind of ask um, a kind of completely open Slido. Anyone can ask questions. Um, the, the community can upvote, et etc. and it was really tough like really, really tough to see some of the feedback to um, know what you're trying to do, but to see the lived experience being being different from that. Um, and this is just this is just amongst our team, right? Um, mm. And yet I think what was what was very powerful is the the team seeing us really actively engaging with this in a, in a level of transparency that I hope was um, confidence inducing. there's a willingness to to tackle these these quite hard things publicly. Um, and I think that that, that that is something that is always a risk, um, but that ultimately, if you engage in the right way, it can actually be a kind of watershed moment for, for your culture where people can see that leaders are also just humans, also just trying to grapple with how to do things well, how to support their team, how to support their customers. Um, and for the team more broadly to 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 see the very raw humanity, I think is a is a is a powerful moment. Um so I, I would say very much kind of kind of a, a work in progress on our side right now with all things communication. There's no doubt that your point around middle middle managers being key kind of linchpins in the organization is 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 real. Um, that's often either where information gets stuck or where the if they if they are appropriately enabled and supported and so on, that the that the right information that can bridge between kind of frontline team members, and kind of um, ultimate decision makers in the business can can um, um, can flow more readily. And then, of course, there's always the question of where uh, where do you provide what level of autonomy, <laughs> and mm-hmm. at what level in what functions, so that teams can not constantly have to feel like they have to take um, issues all the way up the ladder in order to get resolution, in order to take them all the way down. And you know, you you blink your eyes, and it's been three weeks before you've been able to make a decision on something that actually needed like twenty mm-hmm. a, a, a 20 minute conversation to to resolve um so th- these are all things that that again what i would say is that y- if you are hoping to to structure things in a way that will just kind of find the perfect balance immediately it's like good luck <laughs> like it's not going <laughs> to happen it's going to constantly change it is a constant work in progress communication in the organization especially if it's fast growing especially if there are uh, new managers changing managers etc um is is a constant work in progress so i guess probably my biggest lesson for the last few weeks has been a very a very mindful openness to the fact that we need to keep on coming back to the question of of communication um, as a primary thrust in the business, and both both top down and bottom up.
0: Mm-hmm got you i mean it's it's been said communication is the lifeblood of an organization right it's it's totally what keeps it flowing keeps it going what can maybe comes back to that making or breaking a company you know like how is that
1: <laughs> communication <laughs> and cash i would say both in that lifeblood category
0: <laughs> yeah the two c's um mm. but yeah interesting to also just hear you speak about autonomy and decision making and also this idea of i mean you've openly asked for of this feedback, um, something that we really try to do on our program is really trying to get this idea into people that let's move away from these like three months, six months appraisals and it's really – Kind of create the space for continuous, just-in-time behavioral micro feedback. So we, mm. you know, you spoke about people not being able to take feedback that well, even in the entrepreneurship space. But this idea, like another big piece of this, is how readily are we giving each giving and giving each other this micro feedback on behavior all the time, on what's working, what's not working, and so on. And how do we kind of really build that into our culture yeah. um, so that we can also learn quickly, grow quickly, and change things where we need to. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I know, yeah but it's- jackie that, that
1: you'll be familiar with this but there's a framework called crucial conversations which is what i'm going to put put brackets around for this com for, for this podcast like really can't recommend that as a as a methodology strongly enough um mm. i I, d- I did the training a, a couple of weeks ago and we're looking at rolling it out for the whole company it's like it is so powerful Le- learning how to be good at giving and receiving feedback um is it's 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 it's, it's a life-changing gift
0: Mm, totally it's actually one of the we we talk a lot about uh kim scott's work crucial conversations Mm -hmm. in our program actually Um, amazing
1: amazing
0: well, yeah, that's fantastic. Thanks. And, and it actually brings me to the, to another point, uh, which is organizational culture, which, you know, comes out of communication. And I know that you've, you know, in the companies you've built from what I've experienced firsthand and seen firsthand um, is that, you know, organizational culture has always been a, a big piece. And I'm just wondering, you know, could, do you have any key strategies for making it a success?
1: Well, you know, I think it's interesting because the the business where we work together, it gets smarter. Um, we had a physical space, and the, like a big part of the culture was the environment that we were in every day, and the kind of activations and activities that you could do in that space. It is like very. I'm experiencing it very differently in Valencia now as a fully remote company. I mean, mm. We do have two two co working spaces that people can choose to to, to join. Um, but honestly, Jackie, I, do, I don't think that our culture is is like super strong at the moment. I think there are pockets of incredibly strong culture within the business. Um, but we are still figuring out as a business how to operate well as a remote company and how to have meaningful, deep relationships that are beyond just work um, when we are working in this completely remote environment. Um, mm. So there are plenty of things that we're doing. I, I Honestly, like the the number one thing for me always when it comes to culture is like, do you do you actually care? <laughs> <laughs> and I know it sounds like like such a flippant thing to say, but like do you really care about people? do you really care about like listening? do you really care about um about knowing who people are and and what they and what they are about beyond their immediate job title and work responsibilities like the foundation of culture for me is is a bunch of humans coming together and feeling a sense of common purpose and a sense of community and kinship amongst each other and you can't you can't artificially through any number of kind of i don't know tactics or systems or whatever you can't you can't artificially create care and a, deep, mm. and, a, and, a, and a deep interest and resonance in in your fellow humans. Um, mm. So, honestly, again, I don't think that we that we're a shining example of a remote culture yet. I, I'm mm. I'm I'm absolutely committed to to, to getting us there. Um, but but the the primary point of departure is: Do you care?
0: Mm, I love that. Do you care? And I think it also comes back to managing expectations up front. So, I mean, you can't necessarily try and recreate an in-office experience it's no. you're actually creating something completely different no. and what that look like and what are the trade-offs and you know something that i'm trying to i mean part of my discussion with the people that we're hiring and so on is that we the the culture isn't going to be an in-person culture it's going to be mm. different to that mm. and these are some of the ways it's going to be different this is how it's going to you're going to experience it differently this is how it's going to look and it yeah. and you know is that what you want do you Want that that no. alignment? Because if you want that, then you come to the right place. But no. if you if that's not what you're looking for and, and culture is such a big thing, this probably isn't the right place. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's just more honest and transparent and about what you're really trying to build build, and, and what they can look like. Um, but you can always care no matter where you are. So I love that. And I think, you know, just to mention that, you know, obviously you are going through this, but so so many companies right yeah. now are going through this. But the one thing that keeps coming up again and again seems to be that a lot of people are looking for kind of three key things, which are well being purpose and belonging, mm. um, and how do we create that for them, um, and or well, how do they co-create that with them?
1: So to speak. That's that's um, a great. I'm I'm so glad you clarified that. How how do how do we kind of co-create that? It's it's such an important distinction.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and yeah, what does that look like and, and how do we do that together? So so I'll leave that there because re- I am conscious of your time and I just want to quickly whip through one or two more things and, and then we can wrap it up. But I just want to say I love reading your personal blog articles on your website. And uh, in March, you did one on imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. um, which is something we speak about on our, on our program as well. But you said every time you make a status shift in your career, relationship, sport, and so on, you will experience imposter syndrome mm. and i was interested to hear from you how how have you navigated this inevitable feeling um that will come up from time to time
1: yeah yeah um jackie i would say that the the best tool that any of us have in our at our disposal is curiosity um mm-hmm. it, it is absolutely true anytime you know when you go from kind of junior to high school or when you step into a job for the first time or when you get a promotion or I mean like when you get, actually get married, I mean, all of these things are kind of status shifts, right? Where suddenly you find yourself in a new position with with new and different situational authority and and responsibilities and so on. Um, it is the the armor that we often wrap around ourselves um in that co- in that space is like we pretend that we know it all and we try to like fake it till you make it and like, let's do all of that stuff. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> like, like yeah, but you 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 don't know everything, yes, like you don't. Um, Mm. so the, the, the willingness to be sufficiently kind of curious and humble to say like, Hey, like, like, like I'm, I'm a first time manager and now I'm managing Mm. people. And to, to say to your team members right off the bat, like, this is my first time managing and I'm deeply committed to, to getting this right, but I'm going to work with you. And I do need your feedback as part of this Mm. and like expose your humanity, like, be clear with the people around you that like you are fully committed and you back yourself to do it this is not about de- kind of um, um, belittling yourself um mm. but that you are you are a work in progress and that you are looking to learn and looking to co-create and there it is it's like at least from, from my perspective Jackie that that is the answer to to imposter syndrome don't mm. fail uh, kind of feign um, arrogance or kind of like pe- pe- people can sniff it a mile away when you don't actually know what you're talking about and you're pretending to like, and it's mm. and it, and, and it deeply, it's deeply divisive in terms of trust. Like you're just like, oh, okay. this person is just, no, um, mm. that, that openness and that, that humanity is, is, is a gift to to yourself and the team.
0: Mm, Love that. Um, I think that's a nice, nice way to look at it and think about it and and to really kind of apply. Um, Tell me, Rob, so what has been one of your greatest learnings on your personal leadership journey?
1: Um, I probably, in fact, I I, I won't repeat um, what I said before, but um, removing the idea that they are fixed fixed aspects of ourselves so simple example but like I grew up and I, I believed I wasn't good at maths um, mm. and I ended up actually dropping maths in what was it like grade 11 um, mm. and I always just had this idea I'm not good with, good at maths and that was a label that I carried for myself mm. and it kind of defined how I thought about what things that I, uh, what activities I did what how I managed my finances etc etc um, mm. and eventually just like what who the heck said that I wasn't good at maths? <laughs> like, like, where did this idea that started as a story that ultimately crystallized as some sort of part of my identity construct? Like, where did it come from, and is it serving me? Mm. Um, mm. And and my number one kind of lesson of the life is that like any aspect of our personality, of our identity construct, it is just a story. It's a story mm. that we've told that we've told enough times that it started to feel like it's real, but it actually only exists in language. Um, mm. And we have the opportunity to break those stories. We have the opportunity to say, "Hey, like, what if? What if I've been unfairly boxing myself for a very long time? And in fact, like, what could I be? Like, who knows what mm-hmm. I could be?" Um, and the the spaciousness that that creates for um, for new for new openings for new possibilities that are like, uh, let me give it this very practical tool: when you catch yourself saying things like, "That's just not who I am," or when you mm-hmm. catch yourself saying things like, "That's just not for me." Just mm. catch it. Just like take a note and just be clear that that is a story. And and it's like, you know, we've all got lots of stories, but like the question is, is that story serving you? And mm. many times that story is not serving us and yet it feels real and yet it only actually exists in, in, in language. Um, and there's a huge and actually quite easy invitation to shift that.
0: Mm, yeah, you are singing to my beat. Yeah, I mean, we <laughs> this whole idea of limiting beliefs, and you know, we have these beliefs from childhood or wherever they started, and then we carry them through life with us, yep. and we don't stop to question them and ask, you know, is it is it true? Is it serving me? Um, and what could be different here? How could we look no. at this completely different? And it's exactly what you're saying. It's a narrative that you keep reinforcing. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yep. You know, you're saying it over and over again. I mean, I could go, and I'm not going to, don't worry, but I, I, I could go yeah. so deep into this. But um, I, I think one of the things I love the most, and I often say to people, is like, you know, language, like just listening to the way people speak about themselves or the things we say yeah. to ourselves is eye-opening into what's yeah. really going on, into how someone really thinks or how they really view themselves. And, and actually stopping to listen to ourselves when we speak to ourselves or others uh, can give us so much insight into what someone truly believes about themselves or others or a situation. So it's really okay. fascinating okay. but one last question, one final question and then we're done um, mm-hmm. so just as around that there rob as as leave me about uh, creating leaders at all levels how would you define good leadership or what are the character characteristics that you look for in a strong leader
1: um self-awareness mm. yeah i i, I i'm um, not just in the interest of time, but like I really, it, it is as simple as that. Uh, mm-hmm. If someone sufficiently introspective um, and aware of themselves, their growth, their, um, their um, subconscious drivers, etc., there is there is in in leadership. There is such a it is pr- pr- Any business leadership is is the the precondition for business leadership is self leadership. Um, mm. And self-awareness becomes a critical precursor to that. So honestly, Jackie, that it's like I'm, I'm I'm interested in self-awareness above everything else.
0: Lovely, love that, um, and so beautifully aligns with what we say. You know, leadership starts with self. Yeah. So, Robert, thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolute pleasure chatting to you. I feel like there was a thousand things that I learned from this conversation, and would, if we had all the time in the world, go into. Yeah. But that's it. And thank you so much. I hope you have what a good a weekend.
1: Thanks for the opportunity, Jackie.
0: Wow, what an inspiring conversation. We spoke about everything from entrepreneurship to starting and scaling a business, from leading to building culture, and so much more. My key takeouts from this discussion with Rob Paddock of Valencia Institute were definitely around uh, the key to hiring for diversity and complementary strengths, to keep uh, thinking about um, how important it is to manage your well being as a a leader or an entrepreneur or someone starting a business, um, the importance of perseverance and tenacity and and the mindset around how to manage your experience of of the problems that you are having to solve and the feedback that you are getting and so on. Um, I particularly love the point about uh this idea of keep asking yourself what are the tough times teaching me what am i not free of yet what is it that is um what is being invited to explore what am i being invited to explore and and then I think something that uh, Rob hit home really nicely is that, you know, there really is a shared responsibility for us. There's an onus on the individual always um, to to come to the party and make sure that, you know, they are co-creating the right environment for themselves and that they are looking after themselves too and not always pointing fingers at others um, to help them do that. Um, there is deep ownership there. I think it was interesting to hear about if you are in the startup space, the importance of cash Um, but ultimately no matter the size of an organization communication is key whether you're a startup or you're scaling up or you are a leader or you're in the middle there communication is the lifeblood of an organization and that ultimately leadership starts with self and self-awareness and that 100% resonates with us at LeadMe and is exactly where we start our program and I think finally yeah I think if you are starting a business ship iterate and learn and I think that iterating and learning applies to all of us in any context all the time so that's it for me thanks everyone bye-bye